You know, let me start by asking you a couple questions. These might seem a little bit weird, but we're going somewhere. But I wonder how many of you over the last couple months have worn clothes with mixed fabrics? Maybe a little polyester and cotton blend, you know, might feel good on the skin. I wonder how many of you, maybe you went to the barber shop or you went to a hair salon, and during your haircut, you got the sides of your hair cut. I wonder how many of you, maybe over summer, you know, you, you dove headfirst into some pork spare ribs. Or maybe you went to dinosaur barbecue. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I wonder how many of you just yesterday, you took more than 150 steps. Do you realize? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I wonder how many of you realize that if you did one of those four things, you violated the Old Testament law. Something written in Scripture, something written down in God's holy word, and we broke it. And my question for us this morning is, why doesn't that matter to us? Should it matter to us? How did we get here? And what's interesting is we study the life of Paul. We will find that the journey to get where we are to today wasn't easy. But God used a man named Paul to completely change the way we follow Jesus. And here's what I think we're going to discover, is that sometimes in Christianity, sometimes obeying the rules is a whole lot easier than following a Savior. Sometimes it's just easier in life to, to, to check all the right boxes off, to do the right thing, than it is to actually walk and talk and commune in a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't been with us uh, lately, we're, we're in this series called Paul. And we're really studying this man's life, this early prominent leader in, in really all of the church and we're looking at his life, we're looking at circumstances and struggles that he dealt with that really apply to our life today. And we're two weeks into this journey, and, and, and really we've only looked at Acts chapter 9, where this man named Saul was persecuting Christians. A man who was killing people who believed in Jesus, imprisoning them, and on the road to do that very thing, Jesus interrupts his life. There's light from heaven, he's blinded, and ultimately, God puts a call on his life and changes the direction of this man. He was once killing Christians, and now he has become one of them. His life, his direction is steered in, the, in a 180 direction. And in that moment, in Acts chapter 9, God places a call on Paul's life. We see it in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It says this, this man, that's Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so we see in the call that God placed on Paul's life three unique things. That he would have a ministry first to the Jewish people. Secondly, he would have a ministry to the Gentiles. That's just simply a non-Jewish person. And then thirdly, he would suffer greatly for the name of Jesus Christ. And for the next six weeks of this series, this is our framework. We're going to look at Paul's ministry to the Jews and the Gentiles and how he had circumstances where he suffered extremely for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in this calling, he begins with the Jewish people. We see it in Romans chapter 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, 
then to the Gentile. And so this morning I want to answer two really big questions. The first one is why in, in, in Paul's ministry would he start with the Jewish people? And then second, the second question I want to answer is how did the Jewish people respond to his ministry and to his message? So let's start with question one. Why did Paul start with the Jews? I think the simple answer was he was a Jew. He, that's who he was, that was his background, that was his culture. And we all know when it comes to, to, to preaching the gospel, we, we know that when it comes to reaching people, we often are attracted to people who think like us, who act like us, people who we have the background. I mean, that was Paul. He was a Jew, he knew Jewish people, he had relationships with Jewish people, and so that was his first target. But secondly, Paul had a heart for his own people. You see in, in Paul's ministry, you see his heart be pouring out that he wanted the Jewish people to, to realize and believe the very thing that happened to him, that Jesus was the Messiah and he accomplished great things for them. In fact, Paul was so passionate about the Jewish people. Look what he says in Romans chapter nine. He says, for I could wish or dream that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ, the Messiah, for the sake of my own people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And so here you see Paul's heart, that he desperately wanted the Jewish people to understand who Jesus was and put their faith and trust in him. And I don't know about you, but when I look at Paul's ministry, it's really convicting to me. Because you see this zeal, this urgency, this passion to tell people about Jesus. And it led me to this question as I was studying this passage, am I like that? I mean, do I have passion and excitement and urgency to go in my neighborhood, to go in the places God leads me, and to tell people about the gospel? And I'll ask you the same question. How passionate are you really about reaching people for the sake of Jesus? Because Paul, he says in this passage, he actually says, hey, I would give up my salvation, my relationship with Jesus Christ, if it meant that I would know that the Jewish people would accept Jesus. And that's convicting to me, because it's one thing to give up your salvation. I have a hard enough time giving up a weekend. But Paul was so passionate. He led, he led, he led his life with this urgency. I mean, we just at all of our campuses, we talk about invite cards, right? Something we do on a regular basis. And I wonder what our natural tendency is when that message comes across. Is it to tune out? Is it to roll our eyes? Or in that moment, are we thinking, man, I've got people in my life, at my work, in my school, in my neighborhood that need Jesus. And that invite card might be the very thing that God uses to bring them to himself. I mean, honestly, let's just pause for a second and ask yourself the gut-checking question, how passionate are you really about reaching people for Jesus? Because that was Paul's ministry. That's what led, at the very beginning, he had this desire, this zeal to reach his people because he realized that everybody spends eternity somewhere. And that should cause every single one of us to live with urgency, to, to not shut up until we, we can't speak no more about the gospel of Jesus. So why did Paul go to the Jews? One, because he was a Jew. Two, because those were his people. He had a heart for the Jewish people. And then third, they were the perfect people primed and ready to sped, spread the gospel. They had a background for who God was. They had a framework for the way God worked. All they needed to do was understand one truth, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. So that leads us to our second question. First, why did uh, Paul go to the Jews? Secondly, how did the Jews respond to his message? 
You know, one of the hardest things to do in life is to reach the people closest to you. Some of you, you have family members today that you would do anything to, to help them realize they need Jesus. And it's really hard sometimes to reach the people who you are closest to, and Paul's gonna find that out. Because he gets saved in Acts chapter nine, and he doesn't waste any time going on the mission field to reach the Jewish people. And here's what happens. There's two groups of Jewish people that oppose his message. There's two groups of, of Jewish people who don't like what Paul's preaching. And the first group is what I like to call the unbelieving Jews. These were the people who, who their main struggle was simply this. They didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. They believed Jesus was a, a good guy, a prophet. He did a lot of miraculous things, but he wasn't the Messiah that they've been waiting for. He wasn't the true Son of God. And Paul knew this struggle really well because that was his struggle before he converted to Christianity. That was why he was chasing down Christians in Jesus' name because he would do whatever he could to get rid of the false teachers. And so what does Paul do? He gets saved and he begins to preach to the Jewish unbelieving people. Acts chapter nine, it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues. What did he preach? That Jesus was the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus. By what? By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And so what, what does Paul do? He wastes no time. He goes and he preaches the gospel. He tells all the Jewish people, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. How did they respond? <laughs> Check this out, Acts chapter nine. It says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Sounds like the church, doesn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like Paul just got saved and he's preaching the gospel and people are trying to kill him. But it, that wouldn't have surprised Paul. It really wouldn't have because guess what? That, that's who he was. I mean, you remember Stephen stoning? Paul approved of that killing. Why? Because he would do anything to protect the Old Testament law. And so the Jewish people, Paul wouldn't have been surprised that they were trying to kill him because they were protecting him. They were protecting the Judaism from heresy. So what did Paul do? He went to a different location. He went to Pisidian Antioch, Acts chapter 13, and he continues the process. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And so Paul is trying to be killed in Damascus, so he goes to a different location. What does he do? He preaches the gospel. Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins. How do the Jewish people respond? Acts 13, 45, it says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Acts 13, 50, it says, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, a partner in the gospel, and expelled them from the region. Paul, yet again, in a different location, preaching the gospel, and the Jews, unbelieving Jews, they kick him out of the region. Get out of here, Paul. And so what does Paul do? He leaves, and he goes to Iconium. And what does he do again? He preaches the gospel. Acts chapter 14 at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual. Where did they go? First to the Jewish synagogue. 
There they spoke so effectively, we see some success here, that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But guess what happened? This did not make the unbelieving Jews happy, so they responded. But the Jews who refused to believe, who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. So this was a tension Paul would face for the rest of his ministry, the rest of his life. It would ultimately take him to prison. And this was just one section of the Jewish people. There's a whole nother section of Jewish people that opposed Paul's message for a whole nother reason. The first one was unbelieving Jews. They didn't believe Jesus was Messiah, but now Paul's gonna face another opposition from the same group of people that he loved. I call them the believing Jews. These were the Christian Jews, the people who were farther than the unbelieving Jews because they believed Jesus was actually the son of God. He came to, to pay for the sins of the world, but they had a whole nother set of struggles. They struggled with Paul, Paul's message and ministry on two fronts. The first one, they didn't understand that, the, the, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Now we have to pause here for a second. And I think we have to have some context for Old Testament Judaism. You see, in the Old Testament, a Jew, the law was everything to them. It was how you pleased God, by obeying the law. We have to understand that in the Old Testament, everybody was still sa saved the same way. The way they had a relationship with Jesus was through faith. But the evidence in the Old Testament to a Jewish person, was the evidence of faith was that I obeyed the law God gave me. God gave the law to Moses. It's called the Mosaic Law. And it was there as a guide to, to, to people to abide by and live by. And so, man, how could Jesus fulfill something he gave us? But it's in sharp contrast to the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. He says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this was a very hard tension, struggle for the Jewish people to live by because that was their world. That was everything to them. The law was all they held closely to and that created this major tension between Paul's message and what they believed. And out of that first tension came another tension. The second one, the thing they struggled with was that they couldn't accept that Jesus would include Gentiles too. So it's one thing to take away the law from them, but it's a whole other level when you allow pagan people, unbelieving people to come and be a part of the family of God and not follow the law that God gave them. And this created a huge tension in Paul's ministry. In fact, it's a tension he speaks directly to in Galatians chapter three. It says this, so the law, Paul speaking to Jewish people, he says, so the law was our guardian. So he's saying to Jewish people, God gave you the law to guide you in life until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So Paul here, he tells the Jewish people, hey, God gave you a guide, but now a new guide has come. His name is Jesus, and you're no longer under this guide, but you're now to follow Jesus Christ. And he says this because the implications of that truth is verse 28. He says, because of that, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this message was hard for Jewish people to accept. Wait, wait, you're telling me that 
you gave me this and I'm no longer under this, but I got to follow Jesus. And because of that, I got to accept Gentile people into the family of God. This was impossible for the Jewish people to, to believe in and accept because the law was everything. They were naked without it. Put it. Let me put it to you like this. It was like almost like in America, taking the Constitution away. That's what it feels like to the Jewish people, what it would be like for us today in America to just rob America of the Constitution and say, hey, you're, you're no longer under that. You don't have to abide by that anymore. Or maybe put it to you like this. Can you imagine maybe next week, next Sunday, I get up and I, I start to teach and I say, you know, hey, when it comes to following Jesus, you don't need your Bible anymore. Like we're just gonna go a, a different route and, and at Northridge Church, we're no longer going to teach from the Bible. We're going to create a new standard to live by. I mean, first of all, if I, if I said that, I would no longer have a job here. You guys would throw things at me, hopefully immediately. But do you realize that is what Paul is doing to the Jewish people? Remember, the New Testament, Paul is living out the New Testament. It wasn't written. And the Old Testament, guess what the central thing in there was? It was the law. And Paul's now saying, hey, you no longer need this guide. The, the Old Testament, you don't really need it anymore because Jesus has come. And can you imagine how crazy and radical and chaotic that message was? Jewish people were throwing their hands up in the air and saying, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. He didn't see Jesus on the road to Damascus. He saw the devil. I mean, that's how they felt. And to make matters worse, one of the central rules of the law was when you chose to follow God, the mark of that covenant was a thing called circumcision. I know it's awkward and weird. But it's much like baptism today. When someone says yes to Jesus Christ, the mark, the public display of that is baptism. Well, in Old Testament Judaism, that was circumcision for every male. When you chose to follow God, you were circumcised immediately. And the problem that Jewish people are having is Gentile people, non-Jewish people are starting to believe in Jesus and they're not required to be circumcised. Well, hold on a second. You can't do that. That's the mark of the covenant. And it got so bad, this tension got so bad that even one of the disciples, his name was Peter, he struggled greatly. This was a guy who walked with Jesus, saw Jesus' miracles. He was a very close friend to Jesus and he struggled with this whole no law idea and Gentiles coming to Jesus. And it got so bad in Peter's life that God actually came to him in a vision and showed him the truth. And after that vision, Peter had an enlightening. In Acts chapter 10, this is what he says. It says, then Peter began to speak. And he says, I now realize. He has this moment after this vision. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And so Peter, from God, has this vision, and he changes his mind. He says, wow, I should accept Gentiles. What Paul is saying is accurate. And you would think if you had a vision from God that that would change your mind completely, right? But no, Peter actually relapses. He begins to treat Gentiles the right way, but then he goes back to his old way of thinking because it was so ingrained into their DNA and their mentality of how Jews were supposed to live. And Paul actually comes and confronts Peter face to face. Galatians chapter two, it says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. You wanna talk about a scary day, man, I would never wanna be confronted by the apostle Paul. Poor Peter never had a chance. 
When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And you see how real this tension is with the Jewish people. They're fighting to hold on to the law and they're keeping Gentiles out. And it got so bad that the religious leaders made this statement in Acts chapter 15. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the, the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, the law of Moses, guess what? You cannot be saved. That's how strongly they held to their law. And Paul came in to change that. You know what the Gentiles, or you know what the Jews were saying to the Gentiles? They were saying to the Gentiles, hey, until you look like us and until you act like us, you can't be one of us. And Paul, throughout his entire ministry to the Jews, faced this battle. And I get that, that's a lot to take in. That's a lot of information. We covered a lot of scripture. And here's what I wanna do, is I wanna encourage you to keep digging into this. I got a clock that winds down and they tell me when I gotta be done. You know, you all wanna go to lunch at some point. I might keep going if you want me to, but I wanna encourage you, go to paulseries.com. We've created this resource. Every day there's devotions and you can dig a little bit deeper into these topics and learn more. I'd encourage you to go there every single day. paulseries.com. You can also listen to our podcast. We have a podcast every week based off of digging deeper into the series topics. And so I'd encourage you to listen to those. You can find them anywhere you can find a podcast podcast. That's a lot to take in, but here's what I believe. Understanding the answer to those two questions in Paul's ministry to the Jews and why they opposed him can have a significant impact on my life and your life today. And I think there's three ways, and I think the first one is this. We have to understand that calling doesn't guarantee comfort. This is the amazing thing about Paul's ministry and Paul's life that kind of blows my mind. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, Remember, Paul had this miraculous conversion. Like he's going to persecute Christians and Jesus meets him in the middle of the road and he speaks directly to him. It's amazing. There's like light from heaven, blindness and scales falling from their eyes and God places a call on Paul's life. And you would think if God went to all the trouble to call this man, he would pave the way for this man, right? He would make it easy. Like this would be like a revival moment for all the Jews. Like no one would oppose the message to the man that God called directly. But that's not the way it worked. Paul dealt with opposition probably more than anybody else. And I'm afraid today in our cultural Christianity that we want to follow the type of God who calls us to have major influence, but we're not willing to go through the grind and the struggle to get there. We think that if God calls us, that he should make everything comfortable and cozy and cushy for us. That's the type of God we want to follow today, is a God who calls us to influence, but none of the pain that comes with influence. We want God to make it easy for us. And, And it blows my mind that Paul had one of the most influential ministries that included the most pain, the most 
suffering. In fact, part of his calling was that you will suffer greatly for the name of Jesus. I wonder how many of us would have answered that calling. How many of us are going to volunteer for like, hey, Jesus, I'm ready to suffer greatly for you. No, we want the type of calling that says, God, I'll be a community group leader, but I just want everybody in my group to be perfect. No problems, because I don't want to have to deal with those. You know, I'll serve in our student ministry, God, but I just don't want to deal with the drama of teenagers. I'll love on, on, on the kids in our kids' ministry, but man, I just don't want to deal with their parents. And that's the type of God we want today. A God who calls us to greatness, but man, forget the grind, God, because I want you just to make the, the road smooth without bumps, and I want my journey to be easy and soft and comfortable. But calling doesn't guarantee that your road will be nice and smooth. There might be bumps along the way, and that's what was Paul's story. I think the second thing we can learn from this the story is like Paul, we shouldn't make it difficult for people to turn to Jesus. You know, when we look at the Jewish people, one of their greatest struggles was that God, that God would allow Gentiles to be a part of the family of God. And their major message to the Gentile people was simply this, hey, you gotta change and you gotta look like us and you gotta act like us until you become one of us. And it would be easy for us to judge the Jewish people, and it got so bad that all the religious leaders had to come together. They had to come together, it's called the Jerusalem Council, and the question was, do we follow the law or not? And this is the conclusion they came to with Paul. It says this in Acts chapter 15. It says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. And it would be easy for us to judge the Jewish people, right? Like, what is wrong with them? How could a person who's following God make it hard for someone who wants to follow God difficult? Like, what is wrong with the Jewish people? Like, how could they do that? You want to know the truth? One of the hardest places for people far from God to find God is the church. We're just like the Jewish people. Because we look at people who are far from God, don't understand the theology of God, don't know all what God wants, and you know what our message is to them? We project this message of like, hey, you better clean it up, you better figure it out, you better change your politics before you ever get close to Jesus. And that's the message the church projects. Like, hey, figure it out, change that addiction. Fix that problem, and then Jesus will accept you. But that's not the way it worked for us, right? It's not the way it worked for me. I didn't figure it out before I got to Jesus. You know what? I figured it out when I found Jesus. And the truth is today that we have told everybody the opposite of the truth that is true about our lives is, hey, we tell people to figure it out before they get to the one who helps us all figure it out. We project a message of clean it up, get it figured out, but the very first step that people should find themselves is, is placing their faith and trust in Jesus. And as Christians, our whole goal should be to remove any barriers in the way of people who are searching for hope and a rescuer and a redeemer. We should remove all the barriers and say, hey, just get to Jesus. Just get to Jesus. But is that the message we're 
projecting. How do we, how do, we do that? And I think it just starts with the church being a, a, a place where people pray. Can I ask you a convicting question? Because this is convicting for me. When's the last time you were on your knees for your lost coworkers? When's the last time you were on your knees for your children who don't know Jesus? When's the last time you were on your knees for your, for your coaches, for, for your teachers that don't know Jesus, where you were desperate and you were urgent that God would work through you and in you to, to, to lead them to Jesus? We pray. We pray that God would help us see the barriers that we've created and that he would help us remove those because like Paul, we have to get to a place where the church, it doesn't make it difficult for people to turn to Jesus. Can I tell you where, what the most, can I tell you the church should be the most accepting place in all the world? open to whomever and whatever walks through our doors because we all know that if people would just get to Jesus, that's when everything changes. Third thing I think we can learn from this story is following Jesus is about a relationship, not about following the rules. You know, I think this is one of the traps that many of us fall into is we think that if we would just check the right boxes, God will love us more. If I do my devotions and I get to a small group and I serve in the church and I give my money, man, that just puts me on a place where God will accept me and love me the most. And I think we, we've forgotten the most important thing, and that's just walking and talking and communing with our Savior, being with Jesus. Because following Jesus is, is about a relationship. It's not following the rules. And you know who is a perfect example of this? His name was Paul. Before he, he was converted to Christianity, guess what Paul was really good at? Following the rules. He was a Pharisee, he was a scholar, he was trained by one of the premier guys of the law. He knew the Old Testament, he probably had it memorized, and he followed the law to a T. But he lacked the most important thing, a relationship with the God he was trying to follow. And how many of us try to fall into that, we fall into that trap where we think God will accept, accept us if we behave a certain way, and God's just like, give me your heart. I wanna follow you. And some of us today, we're actually banking on our good behavior to be enough to be a part of the family of God. We think, hey, if I would just act a certain way, if I would just look like a Christian and act like a Christian, maybe God would allow me to be a Christian. And can I tell you today that being good is never good enough? that you will never get to a place where you act a certain way or your behavior is good enough to trump the power and the destruction of sin. But maybe we just get back to the simplest and most powerful message in history. It's called the gospel, where Jesus in God's word declares that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard, but God loved us enough that while we were separated from him, he gave us one and only son to die for us so that we could be a part of his, of his family through Jesus Christ. And if you're banking on your good works, the way you act and the way you live to make you acceptable before God, I got bad news, it will never work. It's only through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that makes any of us acceptable to God. And here's the truth. Heart change is way different than behavioral change. When your heart is truly changed by the gospel, it looks completely different than behavioral change. 
And as a church, we can get people to do all the right things, to look the right way, and it will all be for nothing if they miss out on a heart change. I get it because I'm a dad. I know this about my kids. I I know that I can make them do whatever I want because I'm the authority figure in, in our family. My wife can get our kids to to change their behavior almost immediately with a couple of phrases because they fear the consequence, they fear the punishment. And so they'll act a certain way after we say a, a few phrases, we can get our kids to do what we want them to. But I know as a dad, that if I don't work on shaping and and molding and guiding my children's heart, it will be good for nothing. Because the moment they leave my house and they no longer fear me, they'll live however they want to. But as a dad, if I work on shepherding Joel's and Malachi's and Ruby Kate's heart and I guide it and I love it and I lead it to Jesus, that will change, will last forever. You know, behavioral change fears something. It fears the consequences. It fears what God might do to us. But heart change, it longs to please something. And I would ask you today, are you afraid of what God can do to you? Or are you longing to please your heavenly father? Heart change is different than behavioral change. A relationship is different than following the rules. And take it from my brother, Adam. Adam's the middle of the three boys. Barry's the oldest, I'm the youngest. And we grew up in a Christian home. I mean, we were in church four times a week. Four times! Sunday morning and Sunday night. Like, I missed all the 4.30 games on NFL. I'm not bitter either. (laughs) Wednesday night prayer meeting, Awanas, like, we did it all. My parents did a great job of teaching us Christian values, of pushing us to the gospel. I'm so thankful for my family. And if you were to look at my brother Adam, for 19 years of his life, he followed the rules. If you were to ask him, how how do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He could have spouted out the right answer. He could have told you everything you needed to hear. If you looked at his life, He was the picture-perfect model of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And yet for 19 years of his life, he missed out on just simply giving Jesus his heart. And in college, one day, he realized that he was chasing a standard that he could never get to. He was chasing a behavior that he would never accomplish. And he realized, without Jesus having my heart, I'll never get to where I want to be. And so in that moment, for the first time, he received grace that would forgive everything that he did, and he transferred his heart to God. And it changed everything for him. And I would bet here today, some of you, you're you're, you're trying and trying and trying to please God by the way you act, by the way you follow the rules. And I'm telling you, you're on this journey where you'll never be good enough. God doesn't honestly want you to follow the rules. You know what God wants from you? He just wants you to give give him your heart. And maybe you're here today and you just simply need to do that. 
It's not this magic formula. It's just simply you saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've, I've fallen short of your standard. I'll never reach it. And the only way I get there is by believing in what your son Jesus did for me, by placing my faith and my trust and ultimately my heart in your hands. It's honestly as simple as that. And if you say those words and you believe them in your heart, God will honor that. And maybe for some of you, that will take the pressure off of trying to look like a Christian and actually you'll start being a Christian. But for the vast majority of us, we've made that decision. We've placed our heart in Jesus's hands, but yet we've waned in our passion to reach people. We, 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 we've waned and we've grown tired and weary of reaching people for the cause of Jesus Christ. We've lost that, that, that urgency that we should live by, that, that, that urgency that Paul had, where he just went around and you know what he did? He told people about Jesus. In his workplace, in the synagogue, at church, like wherever Paul went, the central message of his life was like, Jesus is awesome and you need him. Have you lost your passion to reach your neighbor, your coworker, your friends, your family members? Have you grown tired and weary? Or have you become so tired that you've actually put barriers in the way for people to get to Jesus? You didn't do it intentionally, but it just happened. Maybe today for us as Christians, this is a reminder that I need, of every day I need to live with this urgency to reach and tell people about the greatest news that has changed my life forever. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when God has your heart, he has everything he needs. Let's pray together. God, it's easy. Life is busy, it's chaotic, raising kids, going to work. It's easy to lose sight of what's important, what I should be urgent about. And God, I just pray that you remind me and that you remind all of us that eternity is not far away. And may we live that way at our work, in our colleges, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and wherever you take us, God. May we be a people who, who just can't shut up about the greatest news in history, the gospel that you came and you saved us from ourselves. God, I pray today if there's someone here who doesn't know you, God, they've, they've been trying to act a certain way and maybe today they, they give up of that pressure and they just surrender their heart to you. They say, God, I need you. Forgive me and, and lead me. And today I'm giving you my heart. And so we pray that you would lead them and guide them. In Jesus' name, amen.